Welcome to Worship at Plato's Church again. I'm Pastor Chung Ho Kwon. I'm so glad to be in worship with you. Almost every morning, I have a little conversation with my cell phone when I drive to church. I just speak, hey Google, to my Android Auto. I can hear the phone beeps. It means listening. And when I speak, good morning, it says, Hi, Chung Ho. I think the voice, a female voice, pronounces my Korean name with no hesitation better than my neighbors. Then she starts speaking today's weather and the latest news, probably for a month. The top news was about the war in Ukraine. Millions of civilians need food, water, and safe shelter. More than hundreds of them were killed. The news says Russia's invasion of Ukraine is the biggest military mobilization in Europe since World War II. And another millions of Ukrainians already left their homes to save the life of their children and women. We plead with church support Ukraine through the hands of United Methodist Global Ministries team. It is known that Methodist churches in Ukraine are quite small, but actively engage in assisting neighbors in need. So the Global Ministries team is in touch with those churches' leadership as well as with church leaders in the Ukraine's neighborhood countries welcoming refugees. So global news of war, and actually it's not only limited to Europe these days. A week ago, I heard another news that there are mutual missile strikes in Mideast once again. The news of conflict and war seems to increase even in the middle of pandemic. The 20th century world actually observed how humans took more lives in a short time than the deadly virus does. And I hope the 21st century world can observe how humanity can make effort together to save more lives. And today's scripture lesson is from Luke chapter 13. The passage reveals that the circumstance of life at Israel in the time of Jesus it was also uncertain and unstable. And news, news of death were spreading out. There are three stories combined in today's lesson. The first two stories are the unique ones found only in Luke's gospel. They are about violence and disaster happened in Jerusalem. The last one is one of famous parables of Jesus found in all synoptic gospels. And Jesus talks about the barren fig tree. Let me read the passage. Is from Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. At that very time, there was some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. 
If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Each gospel has unique perspective on ministry of Jesus and his teaching. You can hear their unique voices when you read the context of the parables and the stories. I would like to explore the unique voice of Luke in today's passage. In verse 1, we can read a familiar name. We all know who Pontius Pilate is. He is a Roman prefect who ordered to crucify Jesus later. He was the most powerful person in Jerusalem in his time. He was a symbol of Roman Empire. In verse 1, we find that Pilate slaughtered a group of people at Jerusalem. It is very provocative. Said, the blood of murdered Galileans mingled with that of their sacrifices, which means Pilate, probably his soldiers, killed a group of worshipers who gave their sacrifices in the temple. So these Victims bled where the blood of animals they sacrificed before God. There's no more information here. We don't know why they were killed. We don't know what the Jerusalem government announced about the massacre. We just simply know Pilate ordered it. The murdered people were from Galilee province, which is the hometown of Jesus and where his ministry began. And most of his followers, as well as Jesus himself, are from Galilee. I imagine some were outraged by the news. Others wondered why and how God allowed it happened. Why didn't God protect those innocent worshipers from the, the cruel hands of Pilate? In the end of the emotional flow, the disciples might think, like the friends of Job in the Old Testament, they believe the cause of death is their sin. As Job's friends believed, Job was in suffering because of his sin. So the disciples did the death of Galileans was because of their sin. There's no other way to understand their tragedies in their faith. Jesus read what they were thinking. In verse 2, he says, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? It is one of typical ways of Jesus' teaching. He used to lead conversations with questions. And verse 2 is to question about the theology of Israel, which is known as Deuteronomic theology by biblical scholars. The basic idea of Deuteronomic theology is both prosperity and suffering of believers are attributed to God. In covenant with God, Israel will prosper when they are obedient to God, will suffer when they are disobedient. That's how they understand why bad things happen to Israel, God's chosen people. It is because of their sin. This Deuteronomic theology is found as one of the main theological perspectives in the entire Old Testament. To his disciples, Jesus questions about this. Interesting truth is that Old Testament itself questions about this. The book of Job and book of Jonah are the two good examples. Do you remember Jonah was so angry when God was gracious to the people of Nineveh? This prophet didn't understand why God of Israel didn't judge the sinful Gentiles who oppressed the people of God. In his theology, Nineveh must suffer and perish, but God didn't. In the story of Job, we can find his friends didn't understand why so-called righteous Job suffers. 
they believed he has hidden sins. So they speak to Job, you must repent. The cause of suffering is your sin. And Job's response was, I don't know. I don't remember what I did was wrong. I just cursed the day I was born. In the end of the book, God speaks. Both Job and Job's friends were criticized. And, but the Job in this book never says the cause of suffering is his sin. We can hear the Deuteronomic perspective in the church by a different name. It is called prosperity gospel. It is a belief that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for faithful Christians. It is to believe God wants people to be prosperous. I believe God's good will. But prosperity gospel is a half-truth because it doesn't fully answer to the question of suffering of the righteous job, suffering of many faithful Christians in the world, especially the suffering caused by the conflict among Christians who hate, who hate each other. In history, in the name of God, for example, Catholics and Protestant Christians killed each other for centuries in Europe. Earlier than that, Christians and Muslims killed each other for a long time, even though these two religions originated from the same guy named Abraham. And Abraham is called as a father of faith in all three religions. I'm curious of what Abraham thought who he is. Jesus says to no to his own question. Then he said, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Here, no means. Jesus insisted that those Galileans did not suffer because they were worse sinners than others. Here he didn't criticize Pilate or the power of Rome at all. He just uses the, that incident to call for repentance. The sudden death of Galileans challenges those still alive to repentance. I hope you listen carefully. Jesus never said that those Galileans were killed because they didn't repent. What he meant is that the end of life can come any time that and everyone is called to repent. The fate of those who don't repent should not be different from the Galileans who perished in Jerusalem. And his teaching was not still clear to the disciples, and disciples were not smarter or more spiritual than us. They were ordinary people. So Jesus continues speaking in verse 5 and 6. He says, Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all other living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. This is another teaching of Jesus only found in Luke's gospel. Here, Jesus mentions the accident in Siloam Pool. The Pool of Siloam is in the southern part of Jerusalem. In the time of Jesus, when the Jerusalem temple was still there, people of Israel traditionally made at least three pilgrimage a year to their holy city, Jerusalem. Those pilgrims immersed themselves in Siloam Pool before heading down the stone pathway to the temple. They also used the pool for drinking water and camped around it. It was a gathering place of people in Jerusalem, and it was also known as a place of miracle. So all kinds of people from all over the country stopped by when they came to Jerusalem. 
Jesus also visited Siloam pool and healed the blind man according to John's gospel. Here Jesus is just talking about a fatal accident at Siloam. Presumably, an older tower in the city wall had collapsed, killing 18 persons of camped around the pool. We can assume that the news of Siloam tragedy was spread out quickly. Everyone heard that what happened there and how many people were killed on that day. In verse 4, Jesus was quoting the news and saying, Do you think that they were worse offenders than the other living in Jerusalem? Once again, Jesus is saying no to the idea that the victims were killed because of their sin. He calls us repentance, and it is another warning. The Gospel of Luke was written after the fall of Jerusalem around 70 CE, as other Gospels did. Luke knew Jesus' warning were not bluffing. The center of their religion, Jerusalem temple was totally destroyed later and it was never rebuilt by now for almost 2,000 years. When the first century Christians read Luke's gospel, they definitely knew what Jesus is talking about here in chapter 13. His own answer to his question speaks to them that these calamities are not God's doing. Instead, God gave them warnings of how life is fragile and uncertain and why everyone is called to repent. And let me tell you more about this repentance part after we review the last part of the passage. From verse 6, Jesus told a parable. That's the third story, the last story of this passage. Jesus says, A man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? Then the gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year. I will take care of it, and we'll see if it can make fruit or not. This parable makes me think about two things. First, what does a fig tree in vineyard mean? Could you visualize a fig tree planted in the middle of vineyard? The image of vines and fig tree was used often in Old Testament. The prophet used it when they spoke, and grapevines and fig trees were planted together the grapevine climbing up the fig tree, and fig trees provide good shade and protection in vineyard. And also grapes are harvested in a warmer month, and wild figs can be had in the warm and cold seasons. So what we see in this combination is provision all year, enough to feed farmers as well as provide hospitality. Here Jesus is talking about a fig tree without fruit which doesn't feed, which doesn't provide hospitality. It just exists as one of kind in vineyard. Do you feel sometimes you're like a fig tree? I do. Sometimes that's how I feel who I am, what I am in the world. I'm just one of a kind. 
It doesn't mean I'm better or superior to others. I feel just I'm a, like a fig tree in vineyard. In February, I visited the country I was born and raised. There I met my people, my family, my friends, and my home church. They asked me, how are you doing? And also, one of their relentless questions was, when would you come back? How many more years will you live there? It sounds like a series of questions I heard from the uh, last 21 years in Missouri. People asked me, why did you come to this country? What brought you here? Whenever I heard these questions, I felt like a fig tree in vineyard. Am I planted in a wrong place? My answer is always that where I was born doesn't define my life journey. And what I do, where I live, now express what I am, what I value, and how I live God's calling. I planted my life here. I'm a pastor. My immediate family is here, my spouse, children, and also my pastor appointment here at Platwoods. Because of my Korean background, I always feel like a fig tree in vineyard everywhere I go to serve in Missouri. But my existential being reminds me who I am as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Following Jesus means living as a people of God in the world, as citizens of the kingdom of God. It means anywhere in this world, you and I would become resident aliens because our true home, which doesn't belong to here, because of one who knows where we truly belong to. Since we turned around from our way of being and our life, since we turned to the way of Jesus, life in this world doesn't really fit well to our true identity. We sometimes feel like the aliens who crash lands on earth and live like others, but we know who we are. And Jesus was one of a kind, and St. Paul was, John Wesley was. To those people, feel like fig trees. Jesus tell this parable. Jesus said, the owner of vineyard watched the fig tree for three years. He still found no fruit, so he said to his gardener to cut it down. And gardener begged him to keep it one more year, and the gardener promised to take care of it better. The parable is another warning. And our time in this world is shorter than we think. Let me wrap up this message. Daily news reminds us that the fact life is uncertain more than any other times these days. News of war, pandemic, racial violence, school shootings, natural disasters, and accidents burst upon our ears every day. Do you remember John the Baptist declared that the, the axe lay at the root, paused to strike? The owner of vineyard in Jesus' parable says that any tree that did not bear fruit would be cut down. Jesus was teaching his disciples that the fate of Jerusalem is like the fig tree. The fall of Jerusalem happened in 40 years after the death of Jesus. So the one year in the story of fig tree didn't literally mean 
one year. One year was a time for the repentance of Jerusalem. Repentance is more than regret or remorse. Literal meaning of repentance in today's passage is reform your lives. It is torn from your way of life and pray to God for reconciliation. Reforming your life cannot be separated from changing your heart, changing your mind, and repentance makes your perspective changed. And repentance is what we need to be baptized. It doesn't mean the babies are urged to repent on their baptism. Infant baptism is based on grace theology, not repentance. But for adults, repentance is one of the most important steps of baptism. By baptism, we confess my life is changed. My perspective is changed. My life is on the way of reformation. Here, I'm not just talking about what happened when we are baptized by water. I'm talking about the baptism by Holy Spirit. The disciples of Jesus experienced the true repentance when they were baptized by Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We can compare their stories in the Gospel of Luke with the book of Acts, which was also written by the same author of Luke's Gospel. And their perspectives were totally changed in the book of Acts. In the Gospel of Luke, disciples physically followed Jesus. In the book of Acts, they truly followed the way of Jesus. We have to remember that. Repentance is not to reinforce our way of life or our perspective on it. It is to reform them. It is turned to the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is on reformation, restoration, and maybe we, call, we can call it as second chance. That's how we can be fruitful in life. The lesson of the fig tree is a challenge to live each day as a gift from God. What would you do if you have only a year left to live? Only a short time in which to make up for wrongs done and opportunities missed. Just live each day in such a way that you will have no fear of pursuing justice and hope, expressing grief and gratitude, Increasing your capacity to receive and give grace. And also discovering the expansive life God dreams for you. And loving others as God's love spills over. And giving an account for how you have used God's gift. How it reached beyond yourself like water rushes and flows and touching everything in its path. Praise God. Let us pray. Holy God, we truly believe there is nothing more wonderful to live as your people in the world. Fill us with your grace. Help us to follow the way of Jesus to be a part of your great vision. Amen.